is Monday, October 7th, 2019, and it is time for Morning Combat. Hi, donks. How are you doing? My name is Luke Thomas. I'm the host of this program. And do my eyes deceive me, the Iceman is here, Chuck yeah. Lindenhall. Hi, Chuck. What's up, man? The old team back together. The old team. Well, like it. two of the only part of the team that matters. That's uh, right. Slapstick Brian Campbell is uh, on vacation Probably at some all-inclusive resort, sneezing on the buffet, which is what his favorite thing to do is. But you are here, my friend. Yeah. Now, you did not go to Australia, I'm imagining. I did not. No, you Thank did Thank God. Not. Uh, <laughs> I think I, just before the show, I saw a tweet from Ben Folks being like, I just landed in I know. America. Have I saw fun. the same thing from John Anik, man. I'm like, no thanks. Dude, I don't know how Anik does it. I don't know how he I does don't know it. how he does it. But, you know, I know how we do it <laughs> the best way possible. We got a lot to get to on today's show. So, obviously, UFC 243, Triple G, Triple G, Triple G. Dervinchenko, and uh, a little potpourri of other combat sports topics. Ready to get going? Let's go. All right, let's do it. So first order of business, we're going to break this down into different pieces. Let's go piece by piece. The first one is this. We have a new middleweight champion, ladies and gentlemen. Israel Adesanya defeats via KO Robert Whitaker in the second round at UFC 243 in front of their putative Largest crowd ever, 57,000. Do you like how they announced that? It's like, yeah. here's a specific number, and a specific number, and a specific number, <laughs> and then just a little bit bigger, non-specific number. In any event, <laughs> they did. It was 57,000 and some change, and it was an unbelievable performance by Israel Adesanya. He looked, I, I said this on Twitter, Chuck, uh, it was one of his easier fights, which yeah. isn't to say that Whitaker is an easy fight, but in terms of like losing a round mm-hmm. or getting hurt, it was... It was not one of those things. In fact, this is where I want to start the show. Biggest takeaway from the fight. For me, it, it is merely that. It is. It, it, we'll talk about his ascendancy and comparisons to other greats who have made their way through the ranks. But just as somebody who watches this guy, it's just you just have to marvel at his athleticism and his body control. You know, he's not Anderson Silva, mm-hmm. but he feels like the prototype of what Anderson Silva meant to us. Remember when Anderson Silva fought Forrest Griffin and he was yeah. ducking and dodging? That's what this reminded me of. And yeah. everyone called it the Matrix. Well, here he is leaning and throwing hooks, and they're putting away not some chump, Robert Whitaker, who was the champion. It was remarkable to watch a guy like this, and then he had his whole dance routine. Yeah. It is just nice to see a young athlete in their prime with this kind of physicality who can be not a, not a new Anderson Silva, but a, again, to our new generation, a new version of what that meant. To me, man, it was almost, it was like a coming of age in a strange sense. Like, here's a guy who plans, first of all, to even plan that kind of dance routine in a situation where you're going out in the biggest fight of your career like that. And, uh, you know, you could you, know, you could be roundly mocked if that goes haywire right off the bat. But he goes and does that. He was great all week. I think he met every media obligation. You know, he was doing all that. So he's very good up front of a fight. But he gets in there, and I feel like he's one of those guys who in the escalation of the moment, he raises the bar for himself in each instance, knowing that he's going to clear it. And it's him showing the world. When he goes in there and he does something like this, I think there was a lot more doubt on this fight, obviously, because of Robert Whitaker. There was a lot of talk about, hey, man, both those guys in their their previous fights were willing to die. That means they're going to be willing to die as they collide into this fight. And that seemed like it could be you're watching the most, it could turn into a very brutal affair. He didn't make it that way. He made it a showcase for himself against a guy who nobody showcases on or hasn't traditionally done that. And to me, man, I was like, I'm in a, in a very strange way, I've never seen a more meteor, uh, meteoric rise 
to that kind of ascendancy in this sport. I've never seen it, including all the guys that, you know, all the comparisons you want to make. To me, that was that big of a, of a, of a performance. Jill Sonner made a point, had a great video over the weekend saying, you know, it, this guy killed all three things. He had the intro, which you alluded yeah. to, then the fight itself, and then he gets on the microphone already setting up the fight against Bohashinia. Now, we'll talk about that a little bit later. I'd actually say, Chael, while that's completely correct, I would use your argument a little bit and expand that. In every phase of what a fighter is supposed to do on media day, calling into radio shows, doing fan Q&As, signing autographs, whatever, bringing his own team to make a show about him for a YouTube series, in every different version of what a fighter is supposed to do to contribute to their own um, well-being, to their own popularity, to their own ability to fight, as well as meet the UFC's needs, he kills it every time. Every time he kills it. And you also noted, not merely did he kill it, but some of this he brought on himself. You know, they announced his name. He got booed. Yeah. Now, again, he had poked the bear a little bit with the Australian fans by making this like in sort of a New Zealand right. versus Australia kind of scenario in an amplified way. But at the same time, to have the presence of mind to perform like that, <laughs> quite literally in the dance, to have the, the presence of mind to say what you wanted to say after the fight, then to fight that way after that big, long week doing all those obligations, it's... Anderson Silva never did that. He yeah. was always kind of quiet and didn't say True. anything to the media. This guy handles every single phase of the entire fight week better than anyone I've ever seen. Do you get the sense he's living something he's already thought through? Like he's already imagined every scenario and therefore he's only enacting exactly what he envisioned would happen. I, I get the sense that he does that. He's that kind of guy. Like he brings whatever he conjures to his mind and starts to work over, he brings that into fruition. That's what it seems like he does to me, man. Um, you know, you go back to his first fight, the first UFC fight, when he goes in there and he's lifting his leg and he's hiking his leg and he's pretending There's to be marking the, the yard. Yep. Exactly. And it was almost, that to me spoke volumes for the way that the guy felt about himself. There was a lot of hype about him coming in uh, to the UFC from his kickboxing career. It told me that this guy already had an idea of what he wanted to do, right? And then here we are, what, 20 months later, and he's accomplished this. I feel like he's one of those guys, he thinks through his every move, but all, the only thing left for him to do is to go out there and execute it, and he does that brilliantly. That's that it factor. I feel like that's where the it factor comes in, is when people can't relate to the magnetism of somebody who can do that. And uh, going back to the haters, it, it, we'll see what happens after this one. I, I think some people will say, quite rightly, that Bohashin is a real challenge for him. But this fight was also about a coronation, not merely as the guy who could beat Robert Whitaker and then hold the belt, but a coronation of his own argument. That he has said, I am this person, and there has been this pervasive skepticism. I alluded to it on last week's show, the entire way through. I don't know what quarter a doubter might have at this point. Where do you retreat to to say you can, that this guy is not who he says he is? He is everything that he says he is, and probably actually a little bit more, to be quite honest with you. I don't know. If you've been a prevailing skeptic of this guy, this is a bad day for you. Yes, and I mean, there have been, there are similar, there have been guys with similar trajectories in terms of there's a doubt, there's new doubt because they haven't faced this style, they haven't faced this kind of guy. They move the goalposts. They do it every time, right? But uh, this is, I thought the way Adesanya handled it was almost... um, Workmanlike, like he went, he went about his business of saying, like when he got, I remember when he got the, uh, what was his third fight? He was fighting Brad Tavares. Brad Tavares. And it seemed like a huge step up. It seemed like people were like, ooh, too much too soon for a guy like this. And he handles himself. He goes and fights at Madison Square Garden. It because you know he's fighting Derek Brunson. There's a lot of there are a lot of people who's like he, it's feast or fam. Brunson's going to try to take his head off. And there was a little bit of bad blood in that. Remember if you recall that fight, and. It's like he just punished his aggression. That was one of his first real good showcases, right? Like as he gets a finish in that fight. I just feel like whenever there's a doubt, he takes he takes that doubt, 
you know, puts it in his pocket and then just, you know, dispels it, turns it into confetti. That's what he does. And uh, <laughs> he, he did that brilliantly in this last fight. I, I just can't imagine a scenario where it, he could have come off better. And not just in the finish itself and not just in, like, the, how he finished him, but dropping him right before the bell, you know, right before the horn in the, uh, in the, in the first round. So, in other words, almost two knockouts against Robert Whitaker in one fight? I mean, I just don't think he could have done better in that fight. Also, when he was making his statements, like, he wanted to apparently have his dance routine at UFC 234 when he fought Anderson Silva. I would now get the impression that in some kind of way, if you had tasked another fighter with you have to come up with a dance routine, that would have added enormous pressure. I actually get the sense that the (laughs) dance routine... Aided yes. himself in the fight. I got that it sense too. Aided, it, it made him be more of who he wanted yeah. to be, and so he was just ready to go as a consequence of that. Last thing about tailoring this, to his mood and tailoring to right. his kind of uh, motivations. A, and things a, like a that. man in yeah. full. The last thing I say about this is, you know, this is not true 100, percent but a lot of times there are violent overthrows in these divisions, where when some guy takes over, like the real greats, when mm-hmm. they take over, they take over with authority. B.J. Penn choking out Matt right. Hughes. Now they've traded, but Daniel Cormier knocking out Stipe, Stipe knocking out Daniel Cormier. John Jones beating Shogun the way he did. You, know, you can go on and on and on. Right. Again, Anderson Silva beating Rich Franklin the way he did in this very division. Again, he didn't lose a round. I went through the stats. He numerically outstruck Robert Whitaker, and then, of course, from a damage standpoint, yeah. he outstruck him too. If you guys haven't seen it, you'll see it. Go undissected. That fight was not – I'm not going to say it wasn't competitive and difficult because, obviously, Whitaker made everything difficult – but in terms of taking damage, in terms of ever being in danger, this was not even as dangerous as the Marvin Vittori nope. fight, which was a split decision right. in that sense. He, on every time it escalates, he seems to yes. have an answer for escalating danger. Dude, that's what the greats do. Yes. Now, I'm not saying he's one of the greats, but I'm saying those kinds of traits are ultimately what the greats, when you look back on their career, what they did. And when they do that, that's when you have a, a real commodity in the UFC, right? When it becomes compelling to see how they might, uh, you know, outdo themselves in their next performance. And obviously, when he, the way he handled himself in this fight, where I thought the scrutiny was at its absolute biggest for him, it just, I, I want to see, honestly, like, if he's still the star that we're projecting in terms of pay-per-view buys and things like that, like is he that star? Is the national media going to get behind him and uh, you know want to and want to talk to him about all the facets of his life? Are we going to see like Esquire jump in and and do a big profile on him, spend a day shopping? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If that's the type of thing we see, I don't know if we will. But the fact that he is doing that, he's handling his work that way, and he handles himself so well out of the cage. It's. I think that the next fight, regardless who it is, I think it'd be costly. But like, if it's whoever it is, I feel like it's going to seem like an event times ten. I feel like it's going to have that kind of magnitude. Now, this brings us to the second part, which was when talking about his ascendancy the last twenty months. What would you say is the most noteworthy part of it? We talked about the fight itself and how he looked and how he felt, Chuck. But now let me ask you this. I'll pitch this one to you first. When you think back on his rise, that brings us to this day. What stands out to you most about it? I mean, besides just how quickly he was able to accomplish it, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, to me, that number is mind-boggling that he fought seven times in 20 months and that he was so smart to start his UFC career when he thought he was ready. You know what I mean? So those things stand out. But honestly, man, I think it's just his, it's just his poise with his showmanship. Like, he, he's very uh, within himself when he gets in there. And I used to always point out when Anderson Silva would get into his mojo a little bit, you would see him. It was, it was like an activation button. Somebody would do something, whatever, and then you'd see him kind of flip out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like you weren't sure if he was psyching himself up or trying to psych the other guy out. I feel like we've kind of distilled that type of showmanship and that kind of um, anticipation into a guy who executes it maybe even a little 
you know, the, the new version of that. Like the guy like 2.0 who comes in and he knows he's just that much more rounded. He's just that much more daring. You know what I mean? That much more audacious. So I feel like that's really the thing. His poise and just him growing into his own skin and now being completely comfortable in there. But not changing, I would say on whole, not really changing from the guy who came in. I asked him about the it factor when they were talking about it. When uh, I think it was before the... Um, the Brunson fight. I asked him about the, I, what is the it factor? Because they keep saying you have the it factor. And he kind of, I mean, it was like he had thought this through a million times what the it factor was, like delving into the definition, basically saying that, you know, it's when you can, you know, when you can basically make your thoughts everybody's thoughts. Like when you're starting to enact your internal being, like, like what, what I feel, what I'm flourishing in my own mind, in my own mind becomes kind of the collective idea of who you are. And that becomes everybody's thoughts. And I thought that was interesting. So the way I would think about this is the, the most obvious comparison to what he has done, and there's a lot of differences, but there's a lot of similarities. I just mentioned the violent overthrow. Every time there's a new yeah. king of the division, well, one guy who did that was Conor McGregor. Yep. Conor McGregor overthrowing Jose Aldo in, what was it, uh, I just heard a 13 groan, seconds. A collective groan from the crowd. It's, 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 <laughs> the, the parallels are so interesting on this one, right? Because I would say that McGregor had more interest right away from the, the regional build yeah. he had. Because by his second fight when he was fighting in Boston against Holloway, you recall this, that was on the UFC's first show in the FS1 era. Right. And they dimmed the lights there. for him yeah. on the prelim yes. card. Here's the, here's the similarities. Like Fighters, if you want the UFC to <laughs> dim the lights for you or allow you to do a dance routine, they have to see something special. Right. That's just basically the whole idea. Or let Sinead O'Connor sing you out. Or let Sinead, or the, or the donk from Stained, whoever yeah. the hell his yeah. name is. But there's also, here's some other parallels for you, right? So he fought, and Conor McGregor did, Brimage, Holloway, Brandau, Poirier, Seaver, Mendez, and then he beat Aldo to claim the undisputed title right. in his seventh fight. He had the interim championship in his sixth fight. It's ex- identical. Now, right. there ha- there was the injury to the ACL that uh, McGregor had, which, of course, somehow... Can you? Here's another part about this. Yeah. Adesanya's ability to stay injury-free in the last 20 months yes. is... That is some Iron Man shit, yes, to be quite is, honest man. with you. But I wonder what you make of the Conor McGregor comparison. I would say it's a little bit different in the sense... Oh, and by the way, they both were headlining cards yeah. in their third fight. He had a headline that fight with Tavares. Right. Uh, uh, he had the UFC Dublin card. There's a lot of similarities. I would say that Conor, again, came in a little bit more intrigue, had a little bit more time off as a consequence of the injury. But in so many ways, flashy, daring, willing to be disliked, yeah. willing to be polarizing, willing to be loved origin story with national pride, um, violent overthrow yeah. of the king. There are ominous parallels oh, between yeah. them. I agree with you 100%. I think when, when Connor came up, there was a feeling of almost a messiah, right? Like almost like this fight game messiah in the UFC finally, who was big enough. He was busting, you know, he's breaking into every kind of national media. There was the, you know, re- whether you want to acknowledge it or not, the Irish, you know, we have this idea of the fighting Irish. There was some kind of parallel to like, hey, we've actually found this Irishman who fits a basic caricature that we've had in our mind forever, you know? And he was brash. He was doing crazy things. It was like he, he showed up in different forms every press conference. Every time there's a new fight, either he had a shaved head or he was showing up in some kind of, like, uh, you know, overlord garb, you know what I mean? Like, he was always doing snatching belts. He was uh, insulting countries. I felt like he was just doing everything within his power to, uh, you know, but it, was very, it seemed very natural to him to accept all the attention and just absorb it. And I feel like there's a little bit of a parallel there. I feel like you can't give Adesanya enough attention. I feel like he will just be able to absorb it and grow bigger. Right. And I, I remember, I think it was his coach, uh, Behrman, who Eugene was, Berman, yeah, yeah, he was talking about, uh, 
there's a little bit of a question mark if we get once we unify these belts what does he become does he you know who does he become is he going to be the same guy he said he's been the same guy the whole way or does he start to evolve into something else and we've seen that happen where money changes you fame changes you situations change you you feel like a god everywhere you go i feel like that's kind of the space now so far he's uh, handled himself very admirably but I think there's a little bit of potential there where you could start to see Adesanya evolve in the in the bigger sense of vanity and you know feeling right. invincible. So here's what I'm looking for in the next chapter, and you know another ominous, not ominous, but another parallel between McGregor and uh, Adesanya. I don't think it was exactly the same. There's always some minute differences, but there was pervasive skepticism yeah. about McGregor every time. And Dustin Poirier is going yeah, to put a stop true. to this, and Mendez is going to put a stop to this, and then Aldo's <laughs> going to put a stop to this, and no one put a stop to it. Not until Nate Diaz, of right. course. Um, so there's that, too, in answering the critics. I would actually be interested to see what happens. I don't think that Adesanya's... I, I never got the sense that Adesanya was the bad guy, ever. I know yeah. some people disagree. And he did go a little bit poking the bear with the Aussies, but Conor McGregor not seemed... Really. Conor, no. Yeah, not much. Conor McGregor always seemed a little bit bratty, a little yes. bit like a little bit meaner. I never got that sense from Adesanya. Adesanya seemed a little bit like... Um, I'm gonna. I, I'm a. Uh, I'm a performer of one. Yeah. You know, you can watch, but you can't touch, kind of a thing. So here's what I'm gonna see. Now that you have proven all the skeptics wrong, yeah. right? Not that he's a perfect fighter, but the the well, he can't beat this guy. And he can't beat this guy. I mean, you got the title, and that that needs to go away. I wonder if he'll keep that chip on his shoulder. Dominic yeah. Cruz was asking him, like, do you need hate to be who you are? And he said, no, that good or bad, right. it's all energy. It's very even keel that way. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, it's like, okay, I'm not saying you've got a, you've all the skeptics, all of a sudden, all of your fans, but you can't, you can't feast off of skepticism when you disprove it. Yeah. You need to pivot to something else. Right. And so I want to see how he, I want to see how he acts in the next chapter of his career. Yeah. It will be interesting. I felt like with Conor McGregor, just going back to that one second, there was a vicarious joy ride that his country was on, right? Like they're all living through his experience, and I felt like that extended to the globe. I felt like everybody was just like, we'll have fun as long as this fun will last. And obviously it lasted as long as it did. It was a long time because there are a lot of people who still want to keep going with that fun. I think that it's over on that, <laughs> on that scale. But Adesanya is a little different. He almost feels like a throwback to something too like he doesn't seem like he's a firebrand in that sense he feels like he's a throwback to he's more rooted to something more essential to the fight game and he, you know and i feel like that that's his thing it's we can't understand him just yet i don't think anybody has the idea of who he is nobody's going to peg who he is just yet there's a lot to be discovered in him uh through seven fights i think he flew under the radar just enough honestly for him to go into now his boom period with a lot of people not knowing who he is. And I feel like that's to his benefit. Right. I think that, that that part will be fascinating. Yeah, to folks find have out. said, is he now as popular as Conor McGregor? No. You no. look at the metrics, they don't, they don't, or even Conor McGregor was by the time he beat Aldo. No, that, that pay per view did huge numbers. Yeah. Uh, Adesanya has, Adesanya also hasn't, I, I mean, I, I don't know what's happening in Nigeria uh, or New Zealand, <laughs> right. but I don't necessarily get the sense from afar. That he's captured his country's imagination in the same way. You don't that see them traveling to Vegas and like you know thousands see, not, of red panties lying over. Not yet. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah. But again, by the we'll point see. by the point Connor was fighting for the title, they were already there. True. So it's a little bit True. different in that regard. Now it takes us to the man who lost, Chuck Robert Whitaker. Yeah. What do we say about his legacy? It unfortunately, well, look, <laughs> let, let, that's the question. Robert Whitaker loses. So the question is, what do you say about his title reign and what's next? It's there are two different questions. On the one hand, I want to make some comparisons. On the other hand, I have a little bit of trepidation about it, Chuck, because he's 28. Yeah. He's 28. He's fought in three times now in about 30 months. It's not a lot of activity. It's a lot of time off. 
and he still has some growing to do. Adesanya was 28 when this whole journey got started. True. And now he's 30. Here's what we can say, though. I know this is a loaded term, so I'm not using it in the way in which it is loaded. But I was looking up all of the various middleweight champions, from Dave Manet to Evan Tanner, Rich Franklin, Anderson Silva, uh, to Chris Weidman, mm-hmm. to Luke Rockhold, to uh, you had, uh, well, it got stripped in St. Pierre, and then, um, you know, went on and on yeah. and on. You know, it's a little bit of Rich Franklin territory. By that I mean, I don't mean he's stuck forever. He could come back in two years and win. Yeah. You just never really know. But what I'm saying is you had this reign where typically he has zero defenses. No, that's not his fault right. because the one, uh, uh, Romero missed weight, weight yep. so that's not his fault. But, okay, so he's got one sort of. Uh, I think Franklin had like two or so. But it's in a scenario where you lose to this dynamic upstart who came in like a whirlwind and then just tore through everything. <laughs> and And he would have to reclaim it again, and that would make him a bit of a different story where you could go and get a title twice, like a Velasquez, right, that kind of a thing, right. or a, even a Mir in a different way. Um, but to me, it's like, what we, would you say about his middleweight title reign? Here's what I'm going to say. <laughs> One, it's a, little, it's a little Rich Franklin-esque, yeah, not completely see that. esque. The second part is, and I wonder how you feel about this, folks were saying, oh, those, those Romero wars, they destroyed him. <laughs> I'm not ready to say that that's true. I'm not ready to say that that's false. To me, it's really undetermined because if you go back, and again, this isn't dissected, Mm -hmm. if you watch when he gets hit, he's never prepared for it. So it's always going to have the most impact. At the same time, man, the guy has been injury prone. He had the hernia surgery. Those Romero wars, he told your own, uh, from the athletics, Sean Elshadi, it took him a year and a half to get over it. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's true. I am saying it's something to pay attention to. Yeah. No, I agree with everything you just said. Watching him, this particular fight too, I felt like the way he handled himself after you know he gets he gets beat is almost like he'd prepared for this eventuality. Like he'd already thought, you know, if I lose to this guy, it's like losing to a maelstrom that will move on without me. I'm now at the you know at the uh, you know at the whims of a guy who's basically a, on the verge of a meg, being a megastar in the UFC. I'm now on a maniacal whim. I don't you know if he wants to fight me again, that's probably how you get back to it. If not, I probably have to move on at this point. <clears throat> I felt like he. Came to that understanding, even in his post, right away. Like, he understood, like, you know, man, I'm on the market. I want to keep fighting. He's just got to move on. Now, is he diminished? And that's, I think that that's the, what probably the next fight will be about. Whoever it's going to be, I'm guessing it's going to be a guy in the top five space. And uh, if that's the case, I think we find out a lot, of, a lot about that. And I think, but it's premature, I think, to say that the Romero fights did this to him because he's just that kind of guy, man. Like, he's always had a kind of war mentality in his fight. So I feel like you got to see a little more evidence before you really say that those fights specifically took it out of him. Did he look... How did he look to you in that fight, from, from, your, from your bird's eye view? I thought he looked... Did he look to, frail? I didn't think he looked frail. I thought he looked like he was headhunting. You looked at a couple of those, those shots. I know you broke this fight down, but like a yeah. couple of those shots, man, they, they breeze right by. If he connects on one of those, we're having a whole different conversation. I mean, he was trying to take us out. He was loading up. To me, he looked like he was trying to... Uh, he was trying for something spectacular himself. I think he really believed in his, he, that his striking was going to be elite in this situation, mm-hmm. which was an act of defiance. Let's put it that way. A lot of people really thought that Adesanya, they believe he's one of the elite strikers in the game. I think he wanted to prove something in that standpoint. I don't think like he wanted to use like the wrestling and stuff. I don't feel like he wanted to, to go there. De- to his own detriment. Yeah, to his own detriment. So to me, maybe you're seeing more of a stubbornness than a frailty. What about the ring rust? Where are you on that one? I mean, man, I, I, I watched him. He didn't look rusty. Yeah, me. I didn't really see that either. And I, on, and honestly, like sometimes people in the lead up, you'll get a sense that maybe they have 
a, you know, a feeling like that? Because you'll hear them mentioning things they're doing to, to kind of replicate the situation again. I didn't really feel like he was having any trouble that way. And that guy, man, he is, we've seen him go five rounds twice with Romero. I just feel like his cardio and who he is and his kind of mentality, I, I just don't believe. No. It's more like a war. He goes in there and he expects a war. And I think that that's his, just his mentality. So I didn't see any of that. Yeah, I didn't see a ton of evidence of that. But you know, I was talking. I mentioned this before. And I, I got his permission to say this. I was talking to Brandon Gibson, yeah. striking coach at Jackson Wink, and for John Jones. And uh, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I tell you this. I don't know what's going to happen. Whether Israel Adesanya is going to fight John Jones, I can tell you this. John Jones' coaching staff is paying attention. <laughs> they are paying attention. They, they, they're, they're out there looking. They're scouting. That fight could be huge at some point. Not right now. Not right now, though, man. Yeah. It's, it's got to it's gotta mature. you gotta, put, you got to maximize on, on Adesanya's put, you know, star put, power within his own division. Put a pin in that for a second because yeah. I want to revisit okay. it. Sticking with Whitaker, if I can for just a moment, um, I didn't think he looked rusty. I, but what I, the point that Brandon Gibson made to me was, okay, let's say St. Pierre fights that fight the exact same way. Different weapons, but it more or less goes how this one went. Landed about the same, missed about the same. And then you get dropped by Adesanya in the first round. In the second round, dude, St. Pierre's coming out wrestling, man. Yeah. He is coming out wrestling. Right. And the reason I thought why, he would. I thought he would. I thought he would, too. And yeah. this is why I bring that up. It's because his own coach was saying Whitaker's a better version of GSP. Well, this is why people are not better versions of GSP. <laughs> uh, and why these compare... Well, it's like you're comparing yeah. yourself to, like, the best ever. It, it, man, that's a tall order. That's a really, and yeah. for someone even as good as Robert Whitaker, that's a tall that's true, order. Man. He did not wrestle in that cycle, which, by the way, to me, maybe wrestling wouldn't have made a difference. Maybe it would have. There's no way to know. I think it would have been. A, I think it would have yeah. made a difference, if not in the outcome, certainly in the fight's complexion. But I think it will give uh, Whitaker a chance to hang his hat on something to say, you know what, there, things can be different next time. I can right. do other things, and also. I would just like to see him fight somebody new. Like yeah. get back out there, get stay healthy, get Same some here. activity. Same here. And dude, he's twenty eight years old, which uh, this which is, seems crazy, right? Like, do you really think that Saturday was the last time you'll see him in a title <laughs> fight? I find that hard to believe. Yeah, and he kept. I mean, that was basically his message the whole time. Was like, hey, you haven't seen the last of me. I'll be back. I'll be back. He will be back. Right. It's just a matter of now. Like you mentioned, it's like in the Rich Franklin sense. There's a guy who's the megastar in the division that the UFC has been trying to tailor, not tailor, but just they've been rolling out the red carpet for this moment, right? So for him to get back to Adesanya, it may be a little bit tricky. He may have to go a couple of fights, but just because it's that situation. Let me see if I can get the champions. I don't have it in front of me. It's not, it's not the champions. Let me see if I can get all UFC champions. I, I forget where Murillo Bustamante fits in this, but he fits <laughs> in there. So it'll be Bustamante, Dave Manet, Evan Tanner, Rich Franklin, Anderson Silva, then you would have, uh, he got beat by Chris Weidman, Weidman, who got beat by Luke Rockle, right. who got beat by Michael Bisping, yeah. who got beat by St. Pierre, who dropped it, and then that made Whitaker, right. who was in interim, undisputed, and then he loses to Adesanya. Right. Those are all That's your pretty UFC good, middleweight man. champions. Yeah. Slow clap. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I did my homework, huh? Uh, in any event, though, I would, I, I would say this. I think this chapter, maybe not for Adesanya, but I feel like this chapter of layoff injury, because remember, he never got the Kelvin yeah. Gastelum fight, then, and then layoff again, then back... I think it's been exhausting for Robert Whitaker, and I'm looking to see him start fresh. Yeah, and then let's see what he's got by age 30. I bet you we're going to see him in another title fight, yeah. and maybe with the gold around his waist again. I think, I, again, you know, I don't think you come out of those Romero wars completely unscathed, but I'm just not ready to bury the kid yet. I'm with him. On, like I, I think you used the word brooding in a, in a tweet you sent out. That's, his, to me, uh, that's his him. walkout. Yeah, I mean, he's just that's who he is, man. He's an internal fighter. Like he's a guy who, whatever's going on, you know, he swallows the bomb and explodes, and he's just he's ready to, he's just ready to go. So I feel like he is going to put the pieces back together. I felt like that's what you're seeing right away. He's a guy who doesn't dwell. I think he puts it back together. So 
it may be even sooner than that, but I would guess by the time he is, you know, another year, year and a half, I, would th- I think we'll probably see him at his best form, you know? Quickly, before we go to this boxing topic, the topic of John Jones yeah. and, uh, and uh, I said Anderson Silva, John Jones and now Israel Adesanya. I find it so bizarre, by the way. Yeah. By the way, they're nearly identical in age, 30, 30, 30, 31. I find That's it crazy. I man. find it so bizarre that John Jones, like, Israel Adesanya really ticks him off. I don't know exactly <laughs> why. I can't quite put my finger on it. Suffice to say, though, I think we're both in agreement. I do want to see that fight. Sure. If both guys keep winning, I do not wish to see that fight right now. Adesanya is, has the right frame. He is much smaller than John Jones. is oh, yeah. much bigger and also just much better at wrestling. Adesanya's true gift is that he is a different fighter fight to fight with different tactics and different development. So you give that guy time, sky's the limit. But right now, bad idea. I think it's a bad idea, too, just for John Jones. Because we're sitting, for, for the last, what, a couple years, we talk about, like, is he going to fight so-and-so? Is he going to go to heavyweight? We're putting him, we're projecting him against heavyweights. We're not projecting him against a middleweight. So I feel like it's, just yeah. from his perspective, it doesn't make sense. But if Adesanya transcends the way he's trajecting right now, like if he goes and just transcends the sport, wins a couple of big fights, you, you revisit that idea? Yeah. Because I think people then would believe in his invincibility enough to go tackle a guy like John Jones. Uh, here's what I think might happen. I think, let's say he beats Bohashinia, which, you know, Bohashinia oh, yeah. might, you know, God only knows what's going to happen there. But let's say he beats him, and let's say Whitaker gets the winner of Till versus Gastelum mm-hmm. and then beats that person. I bet you they're going to put him right back into a rematch after that. Yeah. Right? Like, a, let's do this one over again. They're going to talk about ring rust. They're going to talk about time off, whether or not it's real. And then, and then, <laughs> right, if will. Adesanya wins that, I think they're going to say, all right, let's, 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 yeah. see, let's see what he's got against Jones. But then Jones, God only knows what he'll be doing by that point. Yeah. It's just interesting to me that when you remove Daniel Cormier from the equation, yes. it narrowed Jones' oh, options yeah. a little bit. Because he's got, maybe, let's see if Weidman beats Derek, sorry, excuse me, Dominic Reyes. Yeah. But let's say, Weidman loses, yeah. I think his options about big fights kind of got a little smaller. Yeah, I just think that also the UFC right now, like you just got this guy to the spot where he, you know, where he's going to be a star. You don't want to make him vulnerable. Like right. you probably want to play him within the, the, the rules of, you know, the, the playing field that he knows he can thrive in. But I can tell you right now, as soon as he's reached a level where it's like he can make John Jones feel vulnerable, that's when they'll make that fight. When it seems like a collective idea would be like, well, I think he could put Jones in trouble. When that becomes the case, yep. I could see that fight getting made. All right, so we'll have to see how it goes. Yeah. So let's move on now to boxing. There was a big boxing fight oh, over yeah. the weekend. Triple G. It was actually, fun watching both screens at once. It was, <laughs> it was a little difficult at times, but we made yeah. it work. Triple G taking on Sergey Derevyanchenko. Oh, boy. This was interesting. Now, he won the vacant, let's see, IBF and IBO middleweight titles, Triple G did. I did not think he won that bout. And people were like, oh, you're saying he got robbed? I'm not saying he got robbed. I'm saying I just completely disagree with the judges' scorecards. Yeah. I had it, I think, 115-112 for yeah. Derevin Jago, or at least 114-113. That's what now, I had it. Okay, so here is what happens. He gets knocked down in the very first round. That's kind of what did him in a little mm-hmm. bit. It would have been a little bit closer, but in the end, it would have changed enough scorecards to matter. I will say this. Max Kellerman has a famous test. Who would you rather be at the end of that round? Right. You look at the CompuBox numbers. They tell you the story of that fight, which was not merely that... Derevyanchenko had more volume than him, and that Triple G had better power punches. Mm-hmm. But, like, who was doing the work? Oh, yeah. Who was pulling the yoke? Who was the guy who said, I'm going to put on my big boy <laughs> pants today, clock yeah. in for work, and I'm going to do more than you? And Derevyanchenko was all over him, body shots, pushing him backwards, pushing him backwards, then cutting an angle and pushing oh, him God. backwards again. It was beautiful. Tell me this, Chuck. Have you ever seen, even in the Canelo fights, round over round, with Triple G looking that deflated? No. And I tell you what, you know, to me, what did it, honestly, was that cut. 
As soon as I cooked them and they weren't sure if it was a headbutt or a punch or what happened, there was like some, some confusion oh, there. Oh, Dervinchenko. Yeah, Dervinchenko. When that cut happened, I think it was between the second and third, right? The first two rounds obviously were for Triple G, but by that, it was almost like you saw his animal instinct kick in. And he's like, you know what? I better try to finish this thing just in case. I better go in there and try to finish this thing. And that mode, that kind of animal instinct took over, and it kind of lasted through the whole uh, interior rounds of the fight from 3 to 10. And I thought maybe you could give every one of those rounds to Dervinchenko. So it's like he, he went in there with that kind of thing. And what really struck me is whatever pace he started there, and he started going to the body. I, it was kind of crazy to see Triple G kind of folding up a couple of times, uh, taking those body shots. But, man, once he started kind of chopping away at him, and he just put on a pace that I felt like he, Golovkin didn't keep up with. He just no. couldn't keep up with it. Every time he'd kind of come in there, there was an answer of two or three shots, and that kind of just went on. And I think it was, like, it was just slowly dawned on you, like, man, it, like all the things they were talking about during the broadcast were dawning on you in real time as well, which is just like, never seen him hurt like this. I've never seen him having to dig this far in terms of, like, uh, knowing that he might be down on the scorecards or knowing that he may need a finish, which is, I thought, maybe where he was entering that space around the 11th, 12th round. I was like, he may need to finish this fight now, Triple G, to, you know, to get this one. Crazy, man. Um, Even Triple G, after the fight, said on the microphone, he's like, yeah. this is a bad day for me. Yeah. This is a great day for Darren Duchenko. Yeah. So here's what uh, my colleague over at SiriusXM, RJ Clifford, made a great point. He's like, you could argue that. Yes. Triple G got robbed against Canelo, exactly. but boy, he got saved against Darvinchenko. The karma is even. <laughs> no, that's true. At this point, so that's here's true. the thing: we asked about Whitaker, what was the lingering damage after ten rounds with Yoel yeah. Romero? By the way, I don't know if you saw this. Jorge Masvidal was like, Whitaker ain't the same. So he, by the way, yeah. staked his claim that he's not the same. The thing I'll say about this for Triple G is, I am much more believer that he's not the same now. Now the question okay. is, a, how much of a downgrade? And B, what does that downgrade mean exactly? Like, okay, he's less, but what does that ultimately yeah. amount to? Is Because, he, he, by the way, he's still got his hand raised. Right. Here's what I would say. The, to me, it was the punishment. Like, Dervianchenko was like an unrelenting rain. He wasn't a hurricane. He wasn't a tornado. Yeah. But if the rain just never stops, eventually you're going to flood. And that's, yeah. to me, what it looked like. It was each shot just kind of just it's a cumulative thing. So it was this constant heat that was on him. I guess the reason why I would say uh, Triple G looked a little bit older to me is he just didn't seem to have, I don't know, he didn't seem to have yeah, a, an, another way to put, he just couldn't get the guy off of Not him. Not a different gear. And a lot, nothing, of times, yeah, no a lot of times, adjustments. a lot of times you would see guys try to put it on him before, and he would score a jab yeah. or a body shot, and it would change the whole game. He could not do that to this guy. Yeah. I don't know either. You know, he, he had a he had a new trainer. Like for this yep. fight, there was a people was saying a he should go back to Abel Sanchez. Well, I mean, that's, and that's all that's all possibility, right? Like, but I I thought that every now and again you just watch a fight where suddenly a guy starts to look older. That's yeah. just I felt like maybe that's what you were seeing because there was no indication in the second Canelo fight. I didn't see any kind of diminishing. You know, there was no diminishment that I saw. Like, did you see anything? And then he he had the kind of he had the tune up fight with uh, Rolls. Yeah, he looked. Good. He looked yeah. like himself in that fight. So the old corkscrew punch. Yeah. yeah. So this one particularly, especially in those first two rounds, I thought it was just more of the same. You know, here's this guy, you know, fighting Madison Square Garden and doing the same thing he does, man. And uh, it was almost like over, you know, just like this, he started to look a little older to me. Right. And obviously that, 
you tell me how much that changes the the, com- the com- complexity of maybe a possible trilogy fight. Right. So if you're Canelo Alvarez, that's the big question right. here. You got to be looking at this and saying, "Ooh." Now Canelo Alvarez yeah. has his hands full in taking on a guy two yeah. weight classes above him, and Sergey Kovalev. Same day as the BMF belt being on the line. In, in, uh, in What's with New these York guys? City? First of all, like Kovalev had to get by yard, right? Like to yep. get to Canelo, he struggles to get through there. And yeah. now you have this. These guys trying to get to Canelo. This delicate dancer doing, man, Dude, struggling to get through. I know you want to get to the top, man. You're going to get bruised <laughs> up along the way. Yeah. But if you're Canelo Alvarez, you know, you have to be completely delighted with this. It, it look, I would say it's not that Canelo set the blueprint, but it, I've noticed that between the Jacobs fight and Canelo's two fights and now this fight and some other ones too, um, guys are starting to realize. Well, Jacobs backed up. Yeah. But I'm, what I'm saying is guys have begun to realize if you just take it to this guy, yeah. there's a little bit more of a light at the end of the tunnel seems, than they once realized. Seems like Darian Jacobs wasn't even worried about his power. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. He was worried about the cut only yeah. in the sense that, as you indicated, the ref that might say it's stop. too big. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, props to the cut man for holding that on. Uh, so, I, I, we'll see what happens with Canelo and Kovalev. And I guess if Canelo gets bruised up in that one, all bets are off. Yeah. Really knows. But if he comes out of that one, let's say, relatively unscathed, even if you – here's the part about this fight, Chuck. Even if you wanted to say that in this bout, Triple G A won or B did not necessarily look old, mm-hmm. okay, fine. Yeah. After the fight, you've now done 12 rounds with Derevinchenko. Right. You did not come out of that the same, dude. Exactly That right. guy was all over you. I think I have the CompuBox stats, if I may. <laughs> Let me pull them up here real quickly, if I can, here on this uh, delightful iPad of mine. Um, he landed... Uh, Dara Vincenco, 230 uh, body shots, mm-hmm. for, uh, jabs just 47, and then power punches 183. And um, the majority of those were right to the body. Yes. Yeah. And cutting angles on him. Yep. And then hurting him. Didn't have him take a knee. Dude, that is a that is a ton of yes, abuse. Yes, it is. After two Canelo Alvarez fights, no less, as well. You can see why these guys in boxing, like the Martirosian fight and the Rolls fight, yeah. why they take so many tune-ups. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that uh, it'll be really interesting to see if Canelo does soften on this, obviously, because because of this whole aspect. And obviously, like with the DAZN, you know, this whole DAZN, like, hey, we promise we're going to get this trilogy thing. Right. I feel like if it's going to happen, this is probably the best case scenario. Yeah, Derevchenko did a huge he solid did. to Canelo Alvarez. He did, man. We'll see. We'll see. And by the way, I, I just feel bad for Derevchenko. Like he got same dro- here. He got dropped against Danny Jacobs, and he came back. He did the exact same in thing. the same venue, except for it was the Hulu theater. But it's the same venue. Yeah. It's like he, it's a house of horrors for him to go to the Madison Dude, Square there Garden. There are some of these guys, yeah. man. They're just bridesmaids, and maybe they shouldn't be. That should have yeah. been his day to be like, I finally broke through. I thought he won. It That's ma- all I'll say, man. I thought he won the fight. So. And I'll say this: it makes you, it makes you appreciate what guys like Andy Ruiz do. Yeah. Because if Andy Ruiz, okay, he had really dropped. Um, he got dropped too, but he had dropped. I think Joshua, I think a couple of times yeah. before that. Okay, so fine. But let's say they had stopped dropping each other or they had dropped each other the same number of times and that had gone the distance. Dude, they'd have given that fight to Anthony Joshua. I know. There's just this inertia behind the champion. So you know it's what? It's the hardest thing for bo- it's hardest thing in said, boxing for that. me, man. I know. That's <laughs> the hardest part of boxing to me is just like you really don't know over a 12-round narrative what the judges are doing because they're they're piecemealing it for 12 rounds. Like they're just, you know, right. chapters. And you they, just don't know how they're looking at it. And they have no stats. They have yeah. their own yep. review. It's... It can, be a little, it can be a little difficult. All right, so last but certainly not least, we go back to UFC. There's UFC Tampa this weekend. Sort of a very interesting main event. You're wanting a J-check taking on Michelle Waterson, a strawweight fight, Chuck. I love yep. this. Okay, so here is the question for you. What is on the line with that main event? What is so, at stake? So I feel like this particular fight is a main event because they want to establish the number one contender. I, I would think that that's what this is all about. 
that would make some sense to me. Obviously, Tatiana Suarez is out there, and I'm not sure if she's even ready to fight because she was kind of coming back from an injury. I don't know, like, is, is she... Does she have a fight coming up? So she's training, okay, but she's not allowed to like do hard sparring. Because at all. okay, so th- given her status, I guess in the situation, um, I think that that's what this is. It's that's what's on the line. It's a strange one though because it's a, you know Waterson. I feel like they've kind of the UFC has kind of gotten behind her in, in strange ways because I think they believe she's a marketable fighter. I think she's, she's by the way she's rep by WME. Oh okay, so I mean yeah, and I, I, WME actually I remember this now before I think it was during the Fox telecast had actually put her in the booth a couple like I had put her on an analyst desk and just let her talk a little bit. She kind of I think that they like her in that way. I think they'd like to get her into a spot where she's fighting for a title. Obviously this one. Is a tough fight, man. It's a mm. tough fight for her, but if she's able to get through it, I think that especially they would be looking at putting her in that title fight. It's a it's an interesting moment. So one, I think you're right. It's who's going to get the next shot at uh, Zhang Wiley or Wiley Zhang? I yeah. can never do the whole Chinese. Esther Lin told me once, and I can't. I, I get confused. Too. I know. I get it, gonna, <laughs> which I know is like unbearably unprofessional. Yeah. But I just don't. I just don't know. I just don't know. So there's that. But the other part is, I think it's an interesting moment for both ladies. Joanna Jacek had this moment of invincibility for her, point oh, her yeah. career right before she lost to Rose Namajunas, mm-hmm. right? She could do no wrong. She was bringing gifts to the weigh-ins. Not weigh-ins, but sorry, the face-offs. Yeah. Taunting people. And then she loses and then can't quite get right. Loses back-to-back. I think she rides the ship against Tisha Torres. But then she tried to go against Valentina Shevchenko, yeah. and that was no dice. She's lost three of her last four. Her only win is against Tisha Torres. Who is on her own losing streak, right. by the way. So it's like, wow, man, this is a bit of a tough spot for her yeah. career. I don't know that you could reclaim boogeyman status necessarily in this contest, <laughs> right. but she needs to get right. She needs to get right. She has lost to a degree what was previously captured. Yeah. This this fight, let's say she goes in and blows the doors off of Waterson. Now maybe that it's gonna get a number one contender no matter what. But I'm talking about a bigger perception about what kind of actual threat she poses. Yeah. That was that's been lost. That could be that could be gained here. I would also add, Chuck, in the case of Michelle Waterson, she's had some nice wins. I'd argue her win over Jessica Penny back in Invicta mm-hmm. is her best one. I think that was an atom weight fight, if memory mm-hmm. serves. Um, you know, the win over Paige Van Zant was nice because it was a bit of a name, but that's not the toughest ch- challenge. This would be the best win of her career. And she's oh, yeah. 32, 33 years old. You know, she's always flirted with breaking out in the mainstream. Remember when years ago? She was in those Samsung commercials yes. for the phones. And you always kind of thought, man, the karate hottie, she got an interesting style, you know. Uh, she's going to be somebody who could really break <laughs> out. That's what I mean. And she hasn't broken out yeah. yet. And the, the clock's kind of yeah. ticking. Well, this would be her moment. And I feel like that's really, the, the, the narrative really is right there, right? I think that it's her moment to break through because Yen Jacek still has that boogeyman name to an extent. I know that it's been compromised a little bit, but it's still there. I still look at her like... I used to, where she would show up, like you mentioned, and turn into almost like this demon during the face-offs, where she was almost trying to snatch, you know, like it was, it was crazy, and then you'd see her go in there and just destroy opponents. I still see that version. Like, I feel like she's still there. I do feel like that the, this, it tells you how psychological the game can be sometimes, how like a loss, and especially two losses to somebody like Nam, uh, Rose Namajunas can suddenly change everything, you know? So I feel like there are two different narratives there, but like if Michelle Watterson is able to kind of get through and, and kind of, you know, have a showcase moment for herself and do that against Jacek while her name is still there, this would be a huge moment for her. I do, th- I do think, though, that you're right. If Jacek loses this fight, man, I just, what happens? You almost then start the, you know, you start the, the, the eulogies about, like, wow, she, remember when she ran into Nami Yunus, who, who herself has become reclusive and no longer has a status after losing Losing sucks, man. These guys, they kind of just drop off after this. And it's especially true, I'm, if we're being honest, like with some of the female champions. 
when they when they've lost, they've had a hard time. Some of them of uh, of ever coming back. Holly Holm fell off. You know, Ronda Rousey clearly fell off. We've seen multiple. You know, Rose Namajunas. I think it's whatever for whatever reason. Um, there's a lot of mental play in there. And, That's interesting. So you yeah. think? Let me explore that a little bit. So you believe that. When the women lose, it's just it might be more. It might carry more consequences. It could because you know honestly, like Ronda Ronda Rousey probably handled a loss as as poorly as you possibly could in the UFC. We've been through this a million times. She kind of she never never returned to form. Holly Holm though was the one that I thought because she had the long boxing pedigree. Mm-hmm. I didn't really think a loss would hurt her that bad. She took some unfortunate circumstances, some unfortunate fights, that type of thing, but. It seems to have like you know she. I don't feel like she's been exactly the same as she was on her come up. Um, Rose Namajunas is contemplating maybe not even fighting again. Although I've been in contact with the camp a little bit, and it sounds like she will. But I mean, you just look at all of that stuff, and you, you yeah, I think some there might be something to that. It's you know? interesting. It's just the evidence is like that. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, you're right. They, they these two again. It's not the end of the world for either if they lose. Yeah, but in some ways, it's. Significant. It's a good point. It's yeah. significant. Um, okay, so then that brings us to now your questions for us. This is a segment that we call DMs from <laughs> Donks favorite. or DMs for Donks. Though it's from Donks. I can never remember the actual name. Uh, so I always, if you guys don't know, I'm at Instagram, Luke Thomas News. I post on Sundays a little picture. It's quite clear. And if you post a comment in there, you will see all of my questions. Or sorry, that's your chance to rather... Um, Contribute your response. Okay, Chuck, we'll go to you first on this one. This comes to us from Robert Real, mm. I guess. Uh, will we see a new wave of kickboxers Man. now after Izzy's championship win? What do you think? Oh, that's a good one. I don't know because we, I feel like we've seen kickboxers over time, right? Like a lot of them have tried to come over and uh, Mark Hunt. Yeah, Mark Hunt. Uh, I mean, there 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 have been kickboxers who have come over, not a lot, but there have been there have been a handful that have come over and had decent success, but nothing like this. I do feel like that he's cut differently. Like I think that he always had maybe MMA, MMA on his mind even while he was still competing. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing him in, uh, in Colorado during a uh, one of the Glory events yeah. and, and thinking that. I remember thinking like, man, this guy will be a good mixed martial artist if, he, if and when he does that. And it was like, what, a year later that he was competing. So I don't know, but I, I would I, – you know how it is, man. It's always – there's a floodgate. If you're not making a lot of money, I don't feel like kickboxing will ever take over a North American audience like they thought it would. And you know, you know as well as me. Yeah, yeah it works for glory. I, I mean, they do yeah. good work, but I don't, I don't, believe, just, I don't it, believe it. And I was optimistic when they when they started. I was like, yeah, this could be it because you know MMA being where it is, this is kind of just they taking out the better try take out the grappling, take out the grappling. This is just knockouts. Yeah. People just don't want to go in for it. But I could see, I could see a scenario where some some people might get some ideas. I could see maybe a little influx of uh, some kickboxing. I'm not sure like why. I mean, it's like okay, there might be some out there who can do it, but like the key to understanding Adesanya is that. You see him in one fight, and in his next one, I can't, I can't overstate this, Chuck. Yeah. His ability to improve in the areas not included in um, kickboxing, like yeah. the rest of his game, his ability to improve is extraordinary. Moreover, we went over this with the fainting study last week. He adds a layer of mm-hmm. trickery to everything that his game sits beneath, and it's so thick. Yeah. Most kickboxers even don't do that kind of thing. True. Most, boxers, boxers do a lot more of that than kickboxers. So it's like, could other kickboxers come? Probably. You yeah. had another one, I think, uh, Brad Riddell on yeah, the card. right. Who had trained with the same team. 
Well, that guy put on a fight, huh? Um, holy shit! <laughs> uh, so, you, so yes, is the, the answer is maybe a little, but yeah. like a like a. It, the truth of the matter is, it's it's almost unfair to couple him as just a kickboxer because yeah, so, of who right. you're saying he's a very cerebral, he's a different kind of human That's being. Right, yeah. You know, he's just a, he's he, it's to, to even just say he's a kickboxer he's, feels wrong. Dude, here's the deal with Israel Asanya. He's special. Yeah, he's special among kickboxers. He's special among MMA fighters. He's incredibly special. So like, maybe some, but I would not expect an influx. Yeah. Uh, okay. This is from Paco. What did you make of the production of UFC 243, Chuck? Did you like oh, it? Oh, uh, all the change. Yeah, it's cool. I never really get... I know we used to talk about this stuff a little bit on the MMA beat. I always yeah. like to see them uh, trying new things and trying to spice it up. You know, maybe getting rid of your favorite intro song and doing Which some they stuff still like that. <laughs> I think now it's an act of defiance because they know that you yeah, want Yeah, I know. I, honestly, I think they legit keep it around to be like, fuck Luke Thomas. <laughs> I actually think that that's true. I actually believe that the yeah. UFC is would think that way, but um, I thought it was cool. Like the graphics, say you know it was it added like a dimension to it. So the graphics, kinda, like what they matched the yeah. new belt, is that the idea? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So you know they kind of just updated the whole package. And I didn't. To be honest, I rarely notice that stuff, but so many people were talking about it on social media that it started to jump out at me as it went on. I didn't notice it. Um, yeah. Like the thing, the thing that always gets me is, and it was not in play here. Is like they go to arena to arena, and you could barely tell the difference. Oh, yeah. Now, this one was so grandiose, you could, and I like what they're doing with uh, Megan O'Levy, where they'll have her near the walkout, p- yeah. and then it comes behind, and it gives you a sense of space and dimension. That is cool. They're doing a good job with that, and this arena, again, with that white floor and then the white chairs, that was kind of cool. Um, yeah, that was cool. But, like, you know, they're going to go, huge. Like, they're gonna go to Tampa this weekend, yeah. right? What do you want to bet if you didn't know it was in Tampa, you'd have, aside from B roll, that they're showing the city of Tampa, dude. They never told you. Would you know? You'd I, never know. I, I'm in a, I'm in arenas all the time, and I don't know where I'm at. If I just look around, I'm like you. And you're, you, you just forget. You yeah. don't even know. I mean, there's nothing that signifies one place from another, really. You know right. what I mean? Um, so yeah, it was great, but it was wasn't like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> I think that's. I got accurate. a lot of questions about this donk, yeah. and I didn't think much about this fight, but I guess y'all did. Uh, Sarah is from Rob Brenz, mm-hmm. who has a weird avatar. Uh, Sergey Spivak came out looking way more shredded since getting clowned by Walt Harris, then subsequently dispatches the dangerous <laughs> tie to Ivasa. Does he pose much of a danger to the division since he's had a chance to display his skills in fight IQ? Um, see, I guess you could look at it that way. You could look at his fight like, well, you, you could look at it from the from the standpoint of what Spivak was able to do, but I look at it the opposite way. I'm like, what what was Tuivasa not able to do? He was not able to defend the wrestling at all. And or the judo, or the judo. It's yeah. like it's one of those types of situations. You're like, man, you're, so your game plan was really to go, ch- you know, chop him down with your fists, and that's it. There was no plan B. That's really what stuck out, stood out to me. So I need to see more evidence on this guy. Like I would need to like see him fight another fight or two before I really know his full arsenal. To me, it f- I felt like all he had to do was follow elemental ideas of how to do a mixed martial arts fight. And I'm not trying to be diminishing of. Um, yeah. Of uh, Tuivasa, but I'm like that's how it struck me. I was it felt very much a disappointment. He was a four to one favorite against in this fight, you know, and to get kind of taken really? down, yeah, and to get taken down in your home country like that repeatedly. and really have yeah repeatedly and just have no answer for that. I felt like it was more of an indictment on him, especially in MMA. Like if you're in grappling and you're sparring with somebody, you might find yourself in a common scenario, but you only have like not one way, but you only have one tool, jujitsu, yeah. in your disposal. In MMA, you have a lot of different tools at your disposal, and, and that changes the dynamics of a position. And it's like, dude, you keep getting, I think it was um, Osoto, was it Osotogari? Okay, I have to go back and look. Mm. But he kept getting thrown. 
And I was like, bro, just I know. Wh- why are you going back to these same positions? Now, I will say this. <laughs> I thought on the feet, he was moving side to side. He was yeah. fainting. He was level. I actually thought there were some nice differences there. Yeah. He looked pretty yeah. good. But that lasted half a round. And then once Spivak did I this... Know. It was a wrap, bro. It was a super wrap. Those fights are really super frustrating, too, because the first time you see something happen that you're like, ooh, he doesn't have an answer for that, it becomes a pattern. Yeah. And then you're like, it's just a matter of time. It's either a matter of time or it falls into a boring pattern where you're like, well, this thing's going to go to the, the judge's scorecards because he has no answer for this. You know, That fight was very and By the way, there's puzzling. also there's also a difference between there's a hole in somebody's game versus they're not necessarily great at it. Right. Right. Yeah, the, this was this was a hole. One hundred percent. There was a hole in his game. Yeah, uh, and there was like a piece yeah. missing, and um, you know it was the same thing. Not I mean this one was much worse. I tweeted this out. It sounds disparaging. I don't mean it to be, but that Jorgen De Castro fight against I think it was yeah. Justin Taffa. Right, right. Taffa comes in. I mean, I know the hand rushes, can rushes. cocked back to the east coast of America. I saw a couple of those on this fight card. Well, here's here's what I tweeted. I tweeted like, dude, how much of MMA highlights because he got starched. Is just karma for bad technique. <laughs> I saw that tweet. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm it was so true of this card. The guys were just rushing in and then just. And you're going to cash. I was like, punish, okay. Punish, punish the aggression and hey, get your hand raised. I mean, it was just. It was, dude, I even watched it. He didn't like, stay in his stance and pop him. He got square and then just yeah. said, bah, and then crushed him <laughs> with it. And I was like, dude, that was. It's kind of weird, you right? You didn't have to lose that way. You know what you I mean? Have, you have whole fight cards sometimes where there's 13 fights where it's just such brilliant technique. Like so, the guys are so well rounded against yeah. each other that they basically offset each other, and neutralize to each other to the point where it's a boring card. You've had that happen. Then you get these cards where I feel like we step back in time, and you just see guys go in with these game plans, or maybe they just lose their head in the moment a little bit, and they do that stuff. Dude, then, how about this one? This is a point I also raised in real time. Um, I want I, I got to move along, but you know, you had a bunch. Look, there's been some real winners coming yeah. out of the contender series. Yeah. Okay, Macy Barber. Um, who's the suspended kid? Sean. Um, O'Malley. O'Malley. Uh, there's been some other ones, too, that have been, like, real, real talent. You're going to be like, wow, these, these could be the next big big thing. But then they've whiffed a lot, yeah. man. And you had, a guy, you had a guy on this card uh, who I'm sure is a good fighter. I think it was Maki Patolo. He had mm-hmm. a brilliant, quick knockout. Dude, here is the fact. I would. It, there's a question of who's being recruited mm-hmm. into the talent pool. Right. So I don't know who's going to do tough, but I know winning that tournament – Tells me yeah. a lot more about a fighter than a a, a, a sixty second knockout True. on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender oh, yeah. Series. It's not a great method of evaluation. That Patolo was it the Potter fight? It was a Potter. Yes. And I mean they were like and Potter took they over. were just slamming each other in the face with no movement at all. Like for the first round, it was as if there was a rule like no head movement allowed. <laughs> now, now, in, in there's some people who are going to love that kind of fight. I mean because it's it's just you're watching pure offense. That's was, all you're watching. It was action. Now in, in Potter's defense, yeah, he got it together you're right, he and did. took, took it he after did. him. But it was like, dude, we got to stop. Like if you're. It, I always say this. You, all, you see this all the time, Chuck. You've been in this business yeah. a long time. You'll see someone come from the regional scene. You'll look at their resume. It's like 7-0. Seven, oh, seven first-round KOs yep. and TKOs. And the lesson there is, okay, that dude can crack, but <laughs> right. he's probably fought a bunch, of, a bunch of chumps, right? Because there's no way you can go seven fights in a row in the UFC fighting good competition yeah. and get that kind of a record, which true. means you're untested. It's true. It's just not a great way to do it. It's not it's a great true, way to man. do it at all. It's funny where, how you start to identify the red flags from guys like that. You yeah. really do when they come in. It doesn't mean they're not good. It just yeah. means that doesn't tell you how good they are. It just means that, that punch was good that day. Yep. Uh, this comes to us from Web Scream. Web's Cream. You decide which one it is. <laughs> Chuck, shouldn't the UFC cancel the BMF fight and just give the belt 
to Michael Bisping. Oh, man. We just found out that he fought for years and even won the belt while hiding his fake so, eye from commissions. Did so, you see this? Oh, yeah. Do we, are we rolling it? No. But, okay. No. All right. Well, we listen, listen to me. I was in Chicago for UFC one, uh, 238 like this summer. Which one was that? Uh, was, um, was that the... Uh, Shevchenko I. Yes, yes. and uh, Ferguson Cerrone. Yes, yeah. correct. So I was out there for that, uh, that card, and I, I had lunch with Michael Bisping, just for whatever reason. And he did that for me. No way. He, uh, he's sitting, we're sitting there eating, and he Apparently it's a I, party I was trick. talking to him about his eye. I was like, because I felt like it's always the elephant in the room, right? Like, yeah. you're talking to him. And then he's like, no, man, he just pops it out just like he did, and he, like, holds it, and you're, like, looking at this little piece of, like, <laughs> rubber. It's like a rubber eye, you know, type thing, and you're just sitting there, and it's kind of, you know, he's, he's basically got a cloudy eye. And I sat there just like everybody did on this video with my jaw dropped and just like, dude. And my first question is, how in the hell did you get by the commissions? How did you do this? And he's like, mind your own business. That's all he says. And I'm like, I mean, that guy, like, he is a, it's just a, it's a crazy thing that he was fighting with one eye since the Vitor Belfort fight, essentially, and did all he did at the end. We've heard of boxing greats way, going way back 100 years. Who, there's guys who are, like, legally blind who still accomplish crazy things. But this in MMA, man, that's a, that's a crazy thing he accomplished. Yeah, he is an unreal. I've never, I've talked about this before. Like, forget the eye for just a second, which is its own amazing thing. But I, I made a video years ago about this. Like, dude, you see a lot of people, like take Ronda Rousey, for example. Yeah. They take a vicious KO, and they're just never the same anymore. And right. she took, I guess, two of them. But yeah. she, she certainly was not the same from the first one to the second one, and she quit the sport after two. Dude, Michael Bisping was like a quarterback. Like, you throw an interception, yeah, forget it. come back right on the next series, and you march that goddamn team right down the field. He had – I've ne- and, I, and, I'm, and I'm dead serious. I've never met a fighter to his own physical detriment yeah. more mentally committed to the fight and tougher mentally That's than true. Michael Bisping. Fact. Fact. I think it's because, and I, 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 I've asked him about this stuff. I'm sure you've asked him about this stuff. Yeah. Like, how are you so resilient? I think he tie, it's literally that he ties it to some kind of humbler version of himself. He returns back to his humble upbringing, his dad driving him all over the country and putting him in these situations. I think he always ties it back to that, and he, re, re, he just fills right back up, you know? And then he would show up the next fight, just like you said, ready to go. There's a term in dogfighting. I hate to bring that into comparison, <laughs> but it's, it's true. Yeah. Uh, it's called gameness. And it's where game bread comes from, from Jorge Masvidal. Gameness is defined as pursuit of the fight despite the physical consequences. Well, who's got more gameness than that guy? Yeah. Right? I mean, gave up his eyesight, quite literally, so he could go and win titles. And then that was his best chapter of his career. I know. It's shocking, dude. And also, it's like the Athletic Commission cleared him. LOL. (laughs) Who gives a shit with that? Commissions? You're out here letting blind people. (laughs) But mind the, your business. But the, yeah, mind your business. <laughs> but the reality of it, too, is like, dude, if these fighters yeah. don't want to be honest with you, what are they supposed to do? Go in there and make sure your eyes are real? Like, they're going to take a bit of your work. <laughs> I know, and, they, and then you do have to pass a vision test. Yeah. So he must have been like, bro, he must have been ST ruggling on those vision tests. You know oh, yeah. I mean? <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, all right, finally, but not uh, Read last. Read his book, by the way. It's a really it's good, good book. For, in terms of, like, uh, the guy, you know, in terms of fighter books, and there aren't a lot of good ones, I have to be honest, his is actually worth the read. It's yeah, good. I don't read any books about MMA. No, uh, I rarely do. Well, I won't say I don't read any, but I don't read most. Yeah. Um, all right, from Tyler, Tylorian. Can we finally see what's under Chuck's hat? The fans demand an answer. Yes, I, sh- I do this all the time. I know, bastards. I know. And only, <laughs> it's just just a dome piece. Yeah. How many people when you go to like fights, it would shine if I just let the lights shine. Out. How many people when you go to fights ask you about it? 
I've had people offer to buy my hats like many times, like multiple times. Bullshit. I have. I'm not joking. Like I'll really? be walk. I've had this happen multiple times where somebody's like, then they're serious. They like they want to buy your hat. It's like they want it as a souvenir. That's I should crazy. start bringing extra hats. That's what I should start doing. Don't you have extra hats in your bag? I have. I have one from today. Yes, because uh, you know you sweat in the walk in here. So I yeah, wanna... for sure. <laughs> How long have you been wearing that hat? Not, uh, not this one in particular. But I'm saying hats like this. So I, uh, th- when I first wore these little flat caps, like it goes, it goes probably back to like 2010. Like honestly, because uh, nobody was wearing the flat cap. Nobody was really wearing them yet. I just yeah. kind of put it on um, for one of the events or something like that, and yeah, it's just. Created a monster, man. Now here we are. Dude, it created an identity. Yeah. You know, now everybody everyone, does it. And everyone knows you for it and shit. Yeah. Now, normally what Brian Campbell does, shocker that what I bring to the show is dissected, <laughs> he brings typically slapstick. Yeah. yeah. He, he loves, he, dude, Brian Campbell loves. I'm not above it. I like it too. He can't. He loves. He you know loves how they always stuff. talk about like good writing is like actually in your restraint. I feel like the kid has no restraint. Yes, it's a 90. Right. You would already had 90, 90 different 90s references by now. <laughs> I refuse. Yeah, you gave me zero. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guy. <laughs> can't uh, play the drinking so game. So back there, Jay, are we doing the what is this shit? No, I can't hear you. Okay, no, they were no tip to tip. No, did you? See I just that last week? watched that. I was like, I couldn't I believe like, you guys t- went in for the tip dude, to tip thing. Dude, tell the audiences because you were there for this. <laughs> How long has Brian Campbell wanted to talk about two du- two dudes touching dicks? He's wanted. He's literally talked about it to us at least for mo- months, months. It went on for months. <laughs> it was a joke that he loved. It actually got uncomfortable. It got super uncomfortable. He's always trying is to. Today the, is today the day, Luke? No, it's not the fucking day, this- Brian. <laughs> What hey, are you doing? It's just like when them dogs that goes after your leg, he would turn to me after he talked to you, and I'd always be like, hey, don't yeah. look at me either, fellow. Dude, he would, honestly, he would take it and be like, yo, guys, <laughs> look what I got, look what I got. He loves that picture. I love, though, the this show, we finally found his platform where we could actually show the, the visual of yeah. that, because that cat has been holding on to it for a while. I miss him. He'll be back next yeah. week, and... Uh, I'm sh- oh, by the way, we have to do the beer testing next week. Are you a New England beer guy? Are you as high on New England beer I mean, as he is? Is I it? went through a nice phase of it. I've been to all the good brew houses, man. You know, the Treehouse, uh, the New, New England one. I've been to all of them. And uh, I, at some point, I can't do it as much as I used to. So I, I think I've lost some appreciation for it over time, but um, I've, had my, I've had my moments. Uh, real quickly, odds and ends. What you got for me? Uh, you know what? I was going to shout out to, uh, you know, uh, Megan Anderson, who came back. I, I don't know if you guys saw, like, she was basically admitting that she had a lot of doubts, and she was kind of putting herself in a very vulnerable situation mm-hmm. going into this fight. She was basically talking about how she doubted her own abilities and things like that, stuff that you don't really hear too many fighters talk about, not at this juncture of her of, of a career that young. But she was able to show up and uh, you know get a victory at, the, at UFC 243. And I like it when you see somebody who has that kind of emotional outpouring. Like, it means that much. Like, somehow they communicated just the the hell they've gone through. She let out, like, three or four screams afterward and was in tears afterwards. And you couldn't help but feel for her how, how profoundly this win meant for her, even though most people probably didn't even know who her opponent was, Dos Santos. Or, uh, Dos Santos, Farine, right? Dos Santos, yes. yeah. And, uh, you know, she was making her UFC debut. But it meant everything to her, and to do it in her home country, I thought that was pretty cool. So two of them, and I'd like to get into this with you. One would be Clarissa Shields. Yeah. Uh, was supposed to fight Ivana Habazin. Oh, this is terrible. So the fight was supposed to be on Showtime. The fight got canceled because at the weigh-ins, the trainer of Habazin, I believe, got into some kind of disagreement with someone from Shields' camp. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's not who attacked him. But the guy is 65 years old or somewhere in that ballpark. brutal, man. Someone else in the weigh-in 
attacked him. And he had to get emergency surgery. Now, I'm told, I guess he's going to be okay, but he had some facial lacerations and fractures. Somebody just stole on him and then, and then rolled out. Okay, first of all, it's a terrible thing that happened to this guy. It's terrible yeah. that this fight got canceled. Uh, the card went on, but that, the, the main event essentially was lost. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's awful. But, you know, we were talking about this before the show. Aren't you surprised that doesn't happen more often? <laughs> now, when they do it, so for example, sometimes I've been to like a Bellator or a UFC weigh-in. And they'll do it at the arena. They'll yeah. cut off half right. the arena I've and then put it on the stage. And everything is kind of like controlled and security. But if you go like a step down, like a fight night, bro, almost anybody can just wander into those things. <laughs> That's true, man. Or if you're with a camp and you're like a satellite person, I am shocked this doesn't happen more often, to be quite candid with you. Or how about Conor McGregor? The dudes in the Mac Live come yeah. on in after that media day. I'm with you 100%. I am surprised. And that actually occurred to me as this, you know, as the footage came out and the fight was canceled and all that, it occurred to me, I was like, I'm surprised that we don't see this more often. I mean, I was just in Mexico City for the UFC and it starts to reach a tension level, you know, because it's the fight game. There's a vicarious element to it. People get revved up. They're drinking their beer. They, you always see fights in the stands. You see people acting out, doing stuff they would never do. You've seen this a million times. Mm. It's like people turn into, uh, you know, primitive a little bit when they're, when they're around the fights. And in Mexico City, you know, they, they just the results weren't going their way, and it, it, it had that tension where it's, it's something crazy could happen. There were beers flying. It felt like something could, crazy could happen. You've seen it in the Nermagameda fight, like where you know he jumps the cage, and just for a minute, you're like, are we going to see a, a chaos in the you know outside the cage where just a lot of weird things happen? Um, you get into those very heated situations, and you involve alcohol. I have no idea if alcohol was involved in this, but like you just get people. Who get all revved up and they, let's face it, man, our demographic sometimes is not the most sophisticated group of people. Nuh-uh. <laughs> so, so I am surprised that we don't see more of that. I don't want to see more of that, but I am surprised we haven't traditionally seen more of that type of thing. Uh, what's the scariest way you've ever been to? Like where the tension was just nuts. <sighs> man, the WAN. Like now, in retrospect, people are like, why didn't yeah. they have an audience there for Connor versus Habib? Thank God they didn't. Yeah. Thank God they didn't. Because can you imagine? That would be the one. I mean, there are things like that. That fight had such a dark feel over it, man. That's it just felt like. And, and, this, and, here's, and this is the crazy part about it. That one you could kind of telegraph. Yeah. Like you knew that that was going to be ugly, probably. This one, okay, it was spirited back and forth, but there yeah. was no indication during fight no. week that this no. was going to lead to this. No. You know what I mean? The scariest one I ever went to, I wouldn't say it was scary, but like, because both guys were pros, mm. but back when, I talk about it all the time, I saw Amir Khan fight Lamont mm. Peterson, mm. and they had the weigh-in in this tiny little, um, but it's a very famous library right downtown in, um, in uh, Washington, D.C. Okay. And, uh, but when I say library, it's like marble floor and marble fucking ceilings. It was like just a regal <laughs> thing, and it was packed to the rafters, and that was when Khan's army used to follow him. There were these guys that would go wherever Amir Khan went, and they'd be like, K-H-A-N, Khan, 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 all the time. And they showed up, and then all of Peterson's people there, and then all of, like the DC donks were there. Yeah. And they were shouting at each other, man. And then yeah. he got a like a controversial decision, and then they all came to the press conference. It was, it was a, mm, I didn't feel in danger, but I was like, one wrong move here, yeah. and it's going to set the whole thing it's off. It's like it's being held at the seams. You know, did you watch the Maradona? Um... Not yet. Oh, okay. I can't stand Diego Maradona. Okay. Well, Fuck whether him. you do or not, this that film does an excellent job without like having a narrator and stuff, just letting action dictate the flow of it. It's, yeah. it's really interesting. But seeing those crowds, 
seeing the crowds and the kind of the way people act, I was like, I had a whole different appreciation for soccer fans because I was like, man, bro, there are times where that looks like it's like just like what we're talking about. It seems like it is on Razor's Edge to buzz over into something really crazy. And and, when, and by the way, once like the toothpaste is out of the tube on that thing, it affects how they go forward yeah. from that, at that point on. But I tell the story all the time. I went the first. I'm, I'm going to Columbia for a vacation. Um, not uh, yeah, next week. And uh, look at you. Yeah, I know. Well, it's not that far. It's, yeah. it's actually shorter to get there than it is to go to California for me. Oh wow. Um, in any event, I remember <laughs> the first time I went to El Campine, which is their major stadium mm-hmm. in Bogota, and I saw the home team that my family, my, my in laws, cheer for. I had no choice in this matter, as you can well imagine. <laughs> and I noticed that there were like the fan supporters, they call them the Bardo Bravos, mm-hmm. on this side of the stadium. I had like right in the middle. Yeah. And then I looked over. And because the team they were playing, Once Caldas, had a completely different color scheme. And there was another Bar Bravo with the exact same colors of the home team. And I go, Are they, why are they both the same color? Because my assumption was they're cheering for opposite teams. And it was explained to me, they both cheer for the same team. They have to be put on opposite ends of the stadium and they have to enter. And I did see this, the person, they have wow. to enter one by one under police escort. Wow. And they get searched. And they had to put them on opposite ends of the team because they used to put the two Bar Bravas together. And it was nothing but fistfights constantly <laughs> and stabbings and shit, you know? Jesus, man. So they had, they do, they cheer for the same team. That's crazy. And they're on the opposite ends of the stadium. Dude, well, sports see, does weird shit to people. Yeah. Well, as soon as you start to identify to the point where your relevance and your identity is fixed through something you're watching, you can see how that might happen. Yeah. So again, if you do like a big, uh, big press, I feel like the bigger the weigh ins, the safer. Yeah. The more mid range. No, I agree with you 100%. The smaller, it's, I agree with you 100%. It's when it gets yeah. whatever. Uh, and then also, lastly, uh, on my odds and ends, Lorenz Larkin got a nice win over Andre Korshkov at Bellator 229. Not the biggest event in the yeah. world, but he now has wins over Went Fernando Gonzalez. Very quietly during this weekend. Fuck. <laughs> Here's what's so funny about Lorenz Larkin. He beats Fernando Gonzalez, Ion Pascu, and now Andre Korshkov. That's following up the wins, excuse me, the losses to Douglas yeah. Lee, which you can understand. But then he lost to Paul Daly. Do you remember when he left the UFC, yeah. he yeah. had beaten in a row Jorge Masvidal, <laughs> and Neil Magny, and then he made That's the crazy, jump man. to Bellator, and you thought this is his breakout moment. Now, he did. he did get a nice win. He's got three in a row. Fair enough. But I feel like the reasons why he left UFC, I, I might have to talk to him to be sure. Yeah. I don't know that he, they materialized for him yet. That's, it's, it's very funny you said that because I remember talking to him and during that last stretch, and he was pretty displeased with the way he, you know, that his star power wasn't bigger, that he wasn't being marketed correctly and things like that. And to be in a situation where... He went over to, you know, he didn't perform, like you mentioned, he did not perform well, but to be on a winning streak and basically have a fight come up that went completely under the radar. I don't know how many people actually watch that fight. It's kind of like he's stuck in the same same situation. I think he's earned himself a bigger shot now, now that he's yeah. got three in a row. Yeah. But it's like, you know, two steps forward, three steps back with yeah. this guy a little bit. So I hope he can, I, I, he's still dynamic and exciting. And by the way, the fight was super awesome. Yeah. It was action-packed, but... Yeah, I remember talking to him at that Bellator NYC presser being like, he's like, dude, this is why I'm here. I want to be on stages yeah. like this. That's right. I it's saw like, him there, too. It's yeah. like, back to Thackerville. Uh, <laughs> you know what old I'm saying? Main. All right, man. It's nice like, seeing you. Good seeing you, man. Thanks for having hey, me. All the old days. We made it. To the you know bunker. what I'm saying? You're, you're back to yeah, the bomb If Enola Gay comes by here, man, we'll be okay. We'll, we will be fine. <laughs> no Moabs reach down far into the earth like this. Um, so I think Brian's going to be back next week. And then after that, we're going to have to figure something out because I'm not going to be here. But uh, you're our guy, man. We love having you on the set. Thanks, man. And uh, it's always good to catch up with you. If you if, how can folks get in touch with you? 
so, social media. All right, shit. so my phone number. No, yeah. social media is just at uh, Chuck Mendenhall and uh, on Twitter. So uh, that's pretty. That's pretty much all I use. I have an Instagram, but I don't really go to it too much. No. So yeah, I am at uh, at Luke Thomas News on Instagram. L Thomas News. On Twitter. By the way, here's what's most important. We need you to like this video. We need you to subscribe to the channel. We're on our own channel now. We're making steady progress. I'm really happy with it. Yeah. We've got to keep that train rolling, though. So spread this around to anybody who needs to see it. We appreciate everyone who watches and contributes and uh, all that kind of good stuff. All right? Any all parting right. words? See you. Thanks, Winston Churchill. That was really moving. <laughs> all right. For Chuck Mendenhall and Mr. Brian, who is on vacation, I'm Luke Thomas. Until next time, may all of your gains be mine.